Thanks for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. I'm April D. Scheffler. This is a very special episode in which you get an in-depth look into what it is that makes me tick. (laughs) My friend April Staples reads my natal chart. Our call took place on December 11th. I want you to pay special attention to when she says that once Saturn and Jupiter move into Aquarius, things with my book could pick up. Well, wouldn't you know it, the day Saturn moved into Aquarius on December 17th, my book that had been stuck in Audible's backlog queue for two months got released at last. So yay, my book Sandra is now available on Audible. Now, caveat, the book was writing therapy and contains some shadow work around the antagonist. As such, it contains some profanity. I realize that the book is hardly going to be meant for everybody to read. Well, with the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction coming up, now just two days away, I was very eager to find out from April where in my life the changes heralded by that pretty amazing event would be showing up. After this reading from her, I'm even more open to what the universe is bringing my way, more open to giving up my false ideas of control, not with a sense of fatalism, but of feeling grounded, of knowing that I'm supported through whatever is ahead, and that I always have a choice, free will, and how I respond to what happens. Now, I cut out a lot of personal stuff that wouldn't be meant for the public's ear. But even so, I do reveal some rather intimate looks into my life and psyche. For one, I disclose a prior diagnosis of bipolar type 2. I did that, uh, not so that I could be looked at a little more crazy, right? But rather to try to normalize conversation around it and perhaps spread a little more awareness of type 2, which is not nearly so well known as type 1. At the end of the podcast, I include some synchronicities around the messages I received from my conversation with April. So enjoy. One interesting bit of trivia before we get started. Um, I felt that this episode had a different flavor than the others. And so I wanted to see if there were any transition music uh, bite, sound bites that would uh, be more appropriate. As I was looking through the list of available options, and I, I saw one named Jupiter. And so I thought, how appropriate. I'm going to use this so between the different segments, you'll hear instead of the usual bongo uh, transition sound, uh, you're going to be hearing Jupiter. I think what I'm going to do is just start by telling you kind of what the night sky looked like on the day that you were born, because I think that's really interesting. And I don't know if you've heard, it seems like everybody's talking about this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that's going to be happening. They're getting closer and closer. And actually, when you were born, there was also a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, about as close as they are right now, a little further apart. But um, yeah, so so the day that you were born, um, after the sun went down, Venus was low in the evening sky. Um, I guess that would be the western horizon. So she was just born as an evening star. She just came out of the underworld. So I don't know if you're familiar with the myth of Inanna at all. I'm not. I love the stories though, so. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you have a a newly born uh, evening star Venus, and I'll tell you a little bit about that. But so the sun went down, there was Venus on the western horizon, and then high in the sky was the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. In the early morning before the sun rose, there was um, sort of a big crescent moon. It wasn't a super sliver. It was like less than half a moon. But so in the morning sky, there was the moon. And then as that rose higher, there was just a little peak of Mars before the sun came up. 
So there's a lot of really beautiful things happening in the sky when you were born. People who have evening star Venus are very, their art comes from, it's not like an intellectual type of art, it's a very deep feeling kind of art. Um, evening star Venus people are, are sort of more sensual and um, it's not so much a, everything that has to do with love and art aren't so much from the mind, but really from the heart. So it's a really um, more subtle feminine energy than like um, morning star Venus people are more kind of like Madonna or something where it's just like in your face. <laughs> so evening star kind of more subtle and it has more of that sort of sweet energy or evening star and evening star Venus people are, they kind of guard their heart a little bit more they're a little more slow to go into relationship. Um, they aren't necessarily, they don't necessarily open themselves to love when they're really young. That sort of happens more as they get older, they really start to like open to love. They're sort of slow to show themselves, show people who they are. But when they're done, they're done. <laughs> um, Yours is possibly modified by that a little bit because you have Venus trine Uranus. So you might go for the sudden exciting love a little bit too. And also um, because your Venus is in Cancer, your, your heart mark might just be a little bit guarded in a way too. Mercury, when you were born, was close to the sun. So Mercury was considered to be in the underworld. Mercury was retrograde. And you actually have quite a few um, like aspects with Mercury in your chart. Well, in, in the slice of the pie, if you slice that pie up and they're all numbered on the inside, in the eighth slice of pie, which would be like two o'clock on a clock, um, Mercury and the sun and Mars are all in there. The sun is the one with the circle and the dot in it, and Mars is like the circle with the arrow, and Mercury is the one in between. But so Mercury was close to the sun. And it was retrograde. If you think of like we go through these cycles of life, of um, learning, and you recently came out of a phase in other lifetimes of being very, very smart and witty, and you could figure anything out, and you could figure out how to, like you could figure out how to do anything, kind of. And um, one of the stories sort of related to this that I think is really interesting is the story of when Hermes steals Apollo's cows. Hermes was just a little teeny baby when he stole Apollo's cows and he figured out the way to do it was to walk the cows all backwards so that there would be, you couldn't tell where the footprints were going to or whatever. So he like kind of outsmarted the gods. So like you're kind of coming out of this phase of sort of almost like outsmarting the gods and realizing that you know, maybe it's, there's more benefit in working with the divine than trying to outsmart it. And so right now, this is a lifetime of being like, okay, I want to work with you. Like, I see the merit in working with the divine. I understand that the mind is limited, but that the real knowledge and wisdom and inspiration actually comes from the divine. I can't figure it out on my own or whatever. Mercury was retrograde when you were born, and a lot of times when people have Mercury retrograde, um, they, well, they have a very different way of processing information. So sometimes people who have Mercury retrograde, they um, can have dyslexia or um, they just think about things differently. So in conventional school settings, especially for boys who have mercury retrograde, a, a lot of times will be dyslexia or somehow they don't, the way that they work within the education system, they might not seem that smart, but actually people who have mercury retrograde are some of the smartest people I've ever met because the thinking goes in really deep before it comes back out and shows itself to the world. So you have a really unusual way of kind of thinking about things and processing information. It's like very um, deep, deep thinker. Well, so Mer you have Mercury in Gemini and that's a really good placement for Mercury. It's like it, it's in its home sign kind of. So it's like it's on its own turf. It's not like really being held back by anything. 
your Mercury is in opposition to Neptune. So that gives you like um, a very sort of inspired poetic way of looking at things and expressing yourself. And I think you mentioned at one point that you write poetry. I do, yeah. I, I did a vanity publishing of a, a book of poems and I'm looking for a publisher for my second book. So. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because your North Node is in the, in the ninth house and that does actually have to do with publishing. So, but I'll, I'll come back to that, to the North Node. Um, so yeah, you actually have a lot of things going on with Mercury in your chart. So I mentioned before that when you were born, you had that Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. And so that's kind of this thing where um, it's like, good luck, bad luck. <laughs> they come together for you. It's like, you, it's not that you have bad luck. It's not that you have good luck. It's that you have them both <laughs> together and they happen. It's like, if something good happens, it seems like something bad follows. If something bad follows, something good or bad happens and something good follows. It's like, they come together and they're always, it's like, there are these two characters that are hanging out together that are completely opposite from each other. It's like, they're like the most unlikely best friends ever. And one of them is like always so exuberant and optimistic and has these grand ideas and um, is like generous and benevolent to everyone. And then the other one is like, very serious and very structured and very realistic and a little bit uh, pessimistic and really wants the just like looking at the practical and putting restrictions on things. Gosh, I feel as though that sums up my entire life. <laughs> I feel like this huge dichotomy of like I, I just like this walking contradiction is what I feel like and like I, I think some people think they know who I am and then like, I'll, they'll read something about my horoscope or whatever. And then like, or, you know, I'll say like, this is part of me. And then like, they don't, they don't see that. And so they don't get it. And so it's like, but yeah, I totally feel that like all the time. And I don't know, sometimes I've felt maybe that kind of also plays into the whole bipolar disorder thing that I've been diagnosed with pre, you know, before, um, is I just, I feel like whenever I have like a super day, like I'm just walking on the cloud nine for no reason. Like, I just know that next day, I'm, I kind of wish I didn't have those good days because I know without, it just without fail, the next day I'm just going to be in the gutter. And it's like something, you know, it's not as bad anymore. Um, but yeah, that used to be the case. I think bipolar would be a perfect way to sum up that Jupiter Saturn conjunction mm -hmm. and for you it's not just that you have that conjunction you have it in this major configuration and so um, in your chart when you look at it if you want to like research into this more there's kind of like this lopsided triangle and Jupiter and Saturn are t together there in the 11 slice of pi so they're the apex point of a t-square so not only do you have that optimism and pessimism, we'll just call them together, but they're hitting all this other stuff in your chart. So that means they're really active. So it's a really um, sort of prominent part of your life, it, this thing, because it's not just that you have this good luck, bad luck thing, but they're affecting different parts of your psychology. So for example, they're hitting mercury, which has to do with your thinking and your communication and the way you process and take in information. So on the one hand, you can get these really big, huge, grand ideas and feel like, okay, I'm gonna do this. You'll, you'll have this expansive vision of what you can do. But then on the other hand, Saturn comes in and he's like, hey, wait a second, how are you gonna do it? What, like, what makes you think? So there's kind of like this thing there of, in a way, you can look at this as a blessing and a curse. Because in a way, you're never going to get so like big that you're gonna like explode yourself in a helium balloon or whatever. You're gonna like always, it's like you're always gonna have like one foot in the clouds and one foot on the ground kind of. So you're never gonna stay stuck grounded to the earth 
where you can't like you're just trudging through mud or something because Jupiter's always going to pull you up. So it's like it's this it's this weird blessing and a curse thing, you know, um, because it can. Jupiter actually is the stronger of the two because of the sign placement that they're in. But um, Saturn kind of puts a depressing effect on your thinking and then it's also hitting your sun. So it puts a depressing effect on your vitality. But then you have Jupiter that can pull you back out of it again. So it's like, I don't know, there's some kind of really special energy in that of being able to kind of go to the like hard, just solid reality of places and then be able to go to the bigger inspiration of places and they're merged so there you really can find a way to have that work for you then they're also both in relationship with venus too but they're in a positive relationship with venus with love it's really important for you to really connect with someone on an emotional level if you aren't connecting with them on an emotional level you're not really going to feel connected and that might seem like obvious but some people aren't like that some people have to connect on a intellectual level and you have that too because your mars is there so for you in love you really need the emotional connection but then you also really need that intellectual connection some people are more like they need the adventure connection some people need the practical connection and you kind of have that a little bit too because your moon is in taurus so um like stability and security and all that is really you have an emotional need for that and you are emotionally stable your moon is in taurus where it's actually a really good placement for the moon it gives you this really steady kind of emotional flow um where you can kind of be a little bit of um like a rock for people you're just like this strong steady emotionally solid person with the venus sun and or yeah, Venus and Sun and Cancer and then the Moon and Taurus. Yeah, I would think that you probably feel like a very safe haven to people in a way, but you are also unpredictable because you have um, Uranus in the first house trining Venus. So it does um, lend a unpredictability to um, your love, I guess, because for one thing, you are a you're, you're a unique individual and you don't you kind of sort of refuse to play by the rules a little bit you might try to downplay that because you have scorpio rising so you kind of keep things under wraps like and maybe if people can't really see who you are mm -hmm. it's because you don't really show them who you are in a way <laughs> like because with scorpio rising it's sort of the, you have this sort of mysterious like magnetic sort of um secretive air about you it's like you you're not going to show all your cards you know yeah I, I i love spontaneity i love good surprises i it's yeah again that's that walking contradiction that dichotomy i feel like i so need um routine and structure and know what's expected of me. I don't like to walk into like work where like my brother, for instance, he uh, wants to be an ER nurse, you know, and not know and just have that adrenaline and that stuff. No, that's not, that's not me. Yeah. But I like to have this safe, same container. And then where I'm allowed to be different, you know, and right. me be the wild card. I don't like everything mm -hmm. else to, I want everything else to be the same and predictable. I want to be the one that can, um, I don't know, be curious and explore on my own terms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's good that you know that about yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, because I do feel like, um, I don't know if I want to get into the transit stuff yet, but I do feel like, um, you're sort of entering into this phase of really kind of, and you may have felt it a little bit already, like last, I, I'll have to look and see, but I think that it started sparking last spring, where it's like on some deep level, you kind of are wanting to shake something up. So you've got that sort of um, mysterious, um, 
secretive magnetic mask that you wear for the world. I think people who have Scorpio rising can, um, people don't really want to mess with them in a way. Like I think it's, you can sense that there's something about this person where um, they, it's like, they're holding their power back almost. They're holding it back. Like what happens if they unleash it? And I think people don't necessarily want that unleashed on them. There's can be a little bit of an intimidating aspect to someone who has Scorpio rising, but it's very downplayed. Scorpio's not trying to attract attention to itself in any big way, just kind of more in a magnet. You like to magnetize things to you. So it's like, you're not making a big display of yourself but you're magnetizing things to you, kind of. One thing about Scorpio is very fiercely loyal. Like you're not necessarily gonna let people in super easy, but once they're in, you have very fierce loyalty towards them. That is true. And as far as that, that responsibility thing, so Saturn, which is in that um, configuration I was talking about, does have to do with responsibility. When someone has heavy Saturn stuff, they can feel like too much responsibility is put on them. Has that been something that you've kind of felt your yeah, whole yeah. life? Yeah. You were asking about where Saturn and Uranus were because you were listening to the Molly McCord podcast. And so your thing with Uranus is that it's about to enter into your seventh house, which is the house of marriage. And Uranus shakes things up wherever it touches. It just, it wants excitement. It wants change. It wants different. Um, it rebels. And so a lot of times when people have Uranus go into the seventh house, they'll divorce or a marriage will end or whatever. Plus yours is hitting your moon, which is, makes you want to like shake things up emotionally. And then in your chart, you have Uranus to your Venus. So it's like, for you, you really do want excitement. And yet, like you were saying, your moon is in Taurus. You want the, sol the solid, stable, you've got all that stuff with um, Saturn. You want the structure, you want all of that. And so, yeah, so that's kind of like one of the biggest things that I think that's happening. If you want that excitement, I think the thing is you have to realize it's gonna have to come from you. And that's kind of what you were saying. You like things to be steady and solid and you can be the, like almost like the crazy one within that or whatever, you know? So like, if you can find a way to infuse that in excitement and newness into the relationship, and maybe that's just you doing something completely out of your ordinary that doesn't have to do with another person, you know? Like you had mentioned, you were thinking about beliefs or something, you know, maybe just doing something completely out of the ordinary will allow you to come back with a fresh perspective into the relationship or something, you know. Okay, I, so I want to mention really quick and we can go into this or not, but you have Pluto in the 12th house. So you, the 12th house is like the subconscious mind. And with Pluto there, Pluto's like this natural detective and investigator. So you can actually go really deep into, into the subconscious and really kind of get to, it's like, you can go to like sort of subterranean depths and really like, and that's what you're supposed to do in this lifetime anyway. You're really supposed to like bring some stuff up from below the earth and bring it to the surface kind of you know from deep in your subconscious and you have neptune going through your fourth house right now which is it's been there for a while for for years you've been kind of in this process of trying to sort of see your childhood in a different way see your parents in a different way and it's sort of like this energy of um and you're you're kind of going to be wrapping that phase up it's like this energy of being able to see your childhood in a way where you can frame it to be able to allow it to empower you almost hmm. and see and being able to see your parents just as people and not as parents that impacted you you know what i mean like reframing some certain elements or whatever you're actually about to wrap that up and then neptune is going to be moving into your fifth house which has to do what well, some of the things that that can have to do with is love affairs romance 
children. It's a big <laughs> topic, but also creative endeavors. Mars has been moving through that house a lot this summer. Mars is usually in a sign for only two months, but it went retrograde right when it got to the end and then went back. So it's been in that house a lot too. So that was all being triggered by that too. And I'm probably, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but I can go back to something. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there's this other thing called your North and South node, which they're always directly opposite each other. And if you, and your South node is like what you've done lifetime after lifetime, or that you've inherited from your ancestors, however you want to look at it. And so you can do it really well, you know it inside and out, but if you continue to do it, you'll feel like something doesn't feel right. It's like graduating high school with honors and then going back to high school. It's like, well, you're not supposed, yeah, you can do it really good, but you're supposed to go on to the next thing, which is your North node. And so it's an unfamiliar path, but when somebody does it, they feel like things start to fall in place and they're on task. And your North node is in Leo, which also is connected to the fifth house where I'm talking about that you're about to have Neptune move into and Mars has been triggering it. And so for you, the really important thing is, it's really important for you actually to receive recognition for your creativity and to receive, um, to allow yourself to kind of shine. You're not supposed to keep putting your energy into the group and the collective necessarily and being humble and whatever you're supposed to just like like reach for fame reach for recognition reach for and if you can get that recognition that you're really that your soul is supposed to have right now to evolve in this life then maybe you won't really mm -hmm. even necessarily need it within the relationship and where mars was hitting this summer too was also hitting this interesting trigger point sort of backs that up a little bit more that Really, if you can put your energy into whatever it is that you're doing creatively, maybe you'll be able to get what it is. And the North Node is in Leo, but it's also in the ninth house, which has to do with publishing. What's this book that you're working on? Uh, so this is, this is a, a collection of poems that um, I want to get published by someone else other than me because you know, whenever you publish, you know, self-publish, it has this whole thing about, you know, maybe it's, it's not really worth someone else having published it. You had to publish it yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I want that recognition for my art, and my creativity by finding a real publisher, a real publisher this time for my um, poems. Um, I did release a, a semi-autobiographical uh book and it's uh, i released that this year um so it's an ebook and audio book right now um so and what that was it's called sandra the babysitter from hell uh no it's called sandra a healing reimagining of the babysitter from hell and so I, what i did is i took an experience from my childhood reimagined it where there was a hero um, in there and the chapters are from different points of view and so I felt like this whole project was very uh, healing in a way because not only was I writing some chapters from the point of view of the imagined hero um, there was one chapter that I wrote from my five-year-old self and another chap and the rest of the chapters were from the um, antagonist you know the the evil babysitter so putting myself in her shoes figuring out what could have possibly made someone um do what they ended up doing she ended up um kidnapping across state lines a uh, mentally and physically handicapped child so your babysitter my babysitter, your babysitter. the one who babysat me and my brother as well she ended up so like after she was babysitting you she did this yeah, or I think maybe it was around the same time, uh, you know, wow. it couldn't have been at the same time, but you know, it must have been immediately after this. Wow. She just grabbed one of the kids and escaped and it's like- Did they get the kid back? Just kidnapped, yeah, they got her back. So just kidnapping is one thing, but to kidnap 
a mentally and physically handicapped child, you know, if anything, and I'm not going to, I don't mean to be crude, but some people would want to leave that behind, you know, and this Mm -hmm. was, and she kidnapped this child and took her across state lines and had a lot of fear. Uh, You know, I, I didn't know what she was capable of, of course, no one did, but like, she instilled a lot of fear in me. And so I had taken that and I was able to work through a lot of that stuff through this book. So is that the story that you already published or that you're getting ready to publish? Um, that's one that I self-published as well. So I, I self-published a book of poems and this year I published that autobiographical novel and the one I have not yet published uh, you know, that's still in the works would be uh, for uh, my second book of poems. You might be able to have that one published again. I don't know if that's an option, but I don't know. The reason I'm thinking that is because how I was talking about Neptune in the fourth house and sort of reworking some of that stuff and how you're kind of wrapping up that phase. Then it's getting, Neptune's getting ready to move into the fifth house, which has to do with your creative endeavors. So it's almost like, I don't know. I wonder if there's more life in that story, I guess, Hmm. is the feeling that I get from that. Um, But who knows? But um, keep that in mind, maybe. You know what? I want to read you something in this one book about the the North Node, because I feel like he has a really good way of saying it that I think would be good for, is that okay? If I yeah, just go ahead. This to you real quick? Okay, so um, if the North Node is in Leo, the person's greatest growth, evolution, and fulfillment come through performing creative acts, attaining recognition, and developing the ego. Self-expression and personal power are essential. In past lives, the person may have been detached and emotional and indifferent to approval and acknowledgement. Now she must seek out status, accolades, leadership, and honor. Above all, she must create a life which is regarded as significant and meaningful. Theater and film are favored, as are all other artistic endeavors. Have you done any theater? Uh, No. Well, I did did some church plays that I really enjoyed. I've always, my mom always told me that I was very melodramatic and that I should have been in theater. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, the person should strive for prominence and fame she should promote herself and her work she must abandon her old tendencies of modesty altruism and obscurity in previous incarnations the person may have lived a life of group activity always being with friends and companions now she must delve deeply into passionate love affairs and all matters of the heart she should enjoy the pleasures pleasures of romance, sensuality, and eroticism. And then you're going to, and then you just had Mars in that house too, all summer. So it was kind of sort of triggering and activating all of this stuff, I feel like. And Neptune's going to move there. So there's going to be kind of this focus in that way. Um, Children are also part of that fifth house. um, So there could be something going on with your daughter. The person finds great value in working with youth. She may decide to teach though that her influence will live on through her pupils. She must act with integrity, honesty, and warmth. She should strive for individuality and resist the temptation to follow the dictates and opinions of others. She should honor her desires and instincts more than her rational mind. That's definitely been a, um, yeah, a call for me here recently. Because I, I feel like I haven't been able to really, I am so emotional. Like I get like all these feelings that I don't know where they've come from. And, and so then I just tried to analyze it, you know, put it away logically, whatever. And, um, and so I have felt very detached in some ways. And that's kind of why I had heard a podcast about some, this woman who was kind of very much detached from her intuition and her emotional body. Uh, she went uh, and did Reiki training to be able to reconnect with the physical body. And um, yeah, so I, did, I took Reiki class and 
I'm not sure it helped, but I mean, it couldn't have hurt. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, it seems like what you're doing right now is real. It does seem like you're really putting a lot of energy into um, reaching out of your ordinary and looking for different ways right now. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like you're already doing that. And it sounds like just continue to do that because um, you're, you're looking for something. I mean, you're going to find it. Like if you keep, the important thing is that you can't put like other people, you have the tendency to put other people first, right? That's your natural tendency. I think so because I'll have this urge, but then I always bring it back to my responsibilities and how that's going to affect other people. Well, I think it is really important to keep doing that deep diving work into yourself because that's how we evolve, number one. <laughs> so for yourself. But I also hear you saying that your relationship is really important to you. And I mean, honestly, it looks like things are going to get sh sh shook up in your relationship and so how you want that to happen i mean you don't have any control over it the thing about uranus is it's completely unpredictable so there's no telling what's going to happen but we can look at certain indicators and think okay some kind of radical change needs to happen and i can either start making a radical change or a radical change is going to happen without my whatever you know not trying to have control is going to be really good because you can't control Uranus. All you can do is kind of flow with it. <laughs> and Uranus is about breaking up the control, you know. And then with Neptune going into your fifth house, it's like about dissolving things. So I want to talk about that Neptune is going to be going into your fifth house coming up right about the same time that Uranus is going into your seventh house. It's possible that someone will come into your reality that sort of just is this ideal vision of love. And you can kind of choose to see what is it that I'm seeing in this ideal, or you can choose to act on it, which you might be disillusioned about later because that is the nature of Neptune. Like it is a beautiful ideal. It, it like, but then a lot of times it existed just for the purpose of showing us the ideal. And when that time has passed, we realize that was not what I thought that it was. And it, it does look like something like that could be coming up sometime in the next year or so. I can look at dates to see, but I would just be aware of that. You have a lot of things in your chart that are like, you could be extremely, um, well, extremely intuitive, but like almost like clairvoyant or something. So with Pluto in your 12th house, you can dive in there. Like you can go in for the information. One thing also that I want to caution you about, because with Neptune moving into your fifth house, I wonder if it's possible that someone's going to come into your life where you are sort of spiritually in love with the person. But there, you do have a little bit of a danger in your chart of being, um, I don't know, you have to be careful of spiritual people or gurus or spiritual teachers or anything of that nature. It's almost like they can pull one over on you. I don't know how, I can't think of how to find the words for it, but, and just with Neptune moving into your fifth house like that. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling I get, like spiritually bamboozled or something. Have you ever had like the dream where you have the sleep paralysis and you can't move and there's like maybe another being there okay so that state is the astral realm and you want to avoid the astral realm that wouldn't be a good place for you to mess around in just go supersede it and go straight to spirit and avoid the whole astral situation sometimes things are posing as spiritual but they're actually just astral and just Go above it. Just avoid that realm altogether. Um, and you should be good. Yeah, I think the, um, with the Akashic Records thing, that is superseding it. You're going up above that realm. And the, I mean, the astral realm has a very particular flavor to it, but definitely avoiding anything that has to do with any type of like seance or like, you know, like anything where people are trying to contact, like, I don't know. What was it on the chart that says that? 
I find this so fascinating. <laughs> okay. There's a couple of different things. Pluto in the 12th house. Okay. So if you want to do a little bit of research about that, Pluto in the 12th house, but then you also have Neptune in opposition to both Mercury and Mars. Okay. So yeah, contacting, trying to contact deceased people, I don't think that's a good idea. It seems a little scary if they to contact, me. <laughs> I don't think you should go there. I wouldn't do it. Okay. Um, if they contact you, I think that's a different story. And that does happen, but I wouldn't, I did have a, a really close friend, her fiance had died and I did have him contact me through a dream. Mm. And it was unmistakable that he had this message for me to deliver to her. And it was like four o'clock in the morning. And I even felt the presence like wake me up and like call her. I'm like, I'm not gonna call her at four in the morning. I'm not gonna be that crazy person. So I just wrote down the dream and tried to go back to sleep. But then it's like, no, call her. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like having this argument. I'm like, I'll text her, fine. I texted her and um, she called me immediately as soon as the text went through. And she actually had been laying in bed crying and praying to God for a sign. Like, I think she was on the verge of killing herself. She had her phone turned off and something told her to turn her phone on right then. And my text came through right then. And I was able to give this message to her cool and so if someone contacts you like that i think that's different but i would never try to contact him i would never ever try to contact him gotcha you know what i mean um i don't know if you saw ghosts as a kid or mm -hmm. no but you just just avoid that there's other for you i feel like you have the ability to really tap into something don't get bogged down in the astral realm go straight to a higher source because what exists on the astral realm is a lower vibrational energy just go straight for the source you know okay. like when you're tapping into the akashic records that is a more that's a more pure you're going to a higher source you know i don't know if i'm making sense no, totally. to figure out how yeah. to... one thing i'm just going to say really quick so all of the these planets that conjuncted in Capricorn that caused this whole pandemic and worldwide lockdown and everything, it's basically just calling for a huge change. So any place that it's falling in somebody's chart, there's a big change happening for that person there. It's a complete restructuring of something. And for you, it's falling in your third house, which has to do with communications and media and like kind of gathering information and putting it back out there. I found this quote earlier that I thought was um, kind of summed it up, gathering people into a community using words to create a shared experience. I feel like it came through your third house and you started your podcast, which I find so fascinating. And it's st they're still gonna be in your third house for a while. Keep going with that. I feel like- Do you think after it comes out of that house then it's maybe time to think about stopping? podcast not necessarily because who knows what's going to happen with it because this could be something that um turns into something big in your life you know it's like you're just starting it it's in this infancy stage and because you started it at such a profound moment in time i think there's really something to it because of your north node and how it's it is really important for you to have maybe it'll morph into something different but I feel like this is leading to something that really has to do with part of your path. And I don't know exactly what that is, but um, if you feel like giving up, just keep powering through. <laughs> you know, who knows what's going to happen with it, but it is really interesting that it started at that time. I'll, I'm going to put some thought into that because I just feel like there's really something there. And I, I feel like you really actually have a gift with it. I think you're really, really talented. Um, I feel like you are really great at asking the questions and opening up the space for people. And I just really hope you stick with it. And um, one thing about Saturn, so it's Saturn, Pluto and Jupiter that are moving through there. But there was a whole slew of planets there at one point. 
like last December was kind of when it started. When did she get the idea to start the podcast? It must so have been in December of, like, of last year because uh-huh. I'm looking at the invoice um, was January 7th for the mm-hmm. artwork, yeah. for the logo. So yeah. I must have already been yeah. thinking about it and talking to the artist in December. So that's really interesting. <laughs> so Pluto and Saturn are really slow moving, but what they build is, they, what they build is strong. So it's like, it, you might be seeing this slow start to it, but what they build is strong. Um, and so both Pluto and Saturn have been there for a little while. I would have to go back and look to see how long that they've been there, but, and they're still going to be there for a while. And this is the other thing too. So when Pluto, or um, when Saturn and Jupiter conjunct, they're going to be just moving into Aquarius. And Saturn briefly moved into Aquarius last summer. And I'm wondering if that, well, we can, I might text you and ask you about some dates because once they move into Aquarius, things might pick up for that. Just, we'll see if that happens. And that's going to be, in this month, they're moving into Aquarius. So things might pick up in that way because Aquarius really has to do with um, new technology and innovation and it's like airwaves. So it's like communication. I just have a feeling things could pick up once those two move into Aquarius. I think it's really interesting so, because I've had this feeling that if the audiobook could just become available on Audible, um, the one about mm-hmm. the babysitter, that it could, uh-huh. I don't know, maybe it would take off, but I, I could be disillusioned with by that. But um, it's had this huge, Audible has had this huge backlog. And so I check like every day to see if it's available on Audible yet. Currently available as an audiobook, but it's on some of those, you know, lesser known platforms. And so it's been in the queue mm-hmm. to be released on Audible um, for over 30 days now. And so I think whenever I heard that Molly McCord episode about the the 14th or mm-hmm. 16th or something having uh-huh. like a completion, I was like, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's the date that it'll actually come out on Audible. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. Wow. Well, congratulations. That's really exciting, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's cool. So yeah, don't give up on the podcast and don't give up on any of those things that you're working on. And th- just realize there's a lot of energy for you right now even if it's sort of a slow moving energy there's a there is a real tearing down and rebuilding of that part of your life that has to do with communication and like the gathering and disseminating of information and especially having to do with media um technology like television radio internet all that kind of stuff falls into that third house area and because your north node is ruled by the sun and your sun is in the in the eighth house, which has to do with partnerships, maybe it would help also if you were partnered with somebody, like even if you can find one other person that's working on publishing a book or, you know, just so you have someone, I don't know how you would work in partnership in that way, but somehow it feels like so that you're not going it alone whatever that looks like, whether it's, whether you find an editor, publisher. Maybe you heard me say on the podcast that uh, I was really thrilled when you came on as a co-host for that one episode, because I mentioned in that episode (laughs) that I never really wanted to do this as a solo project. I just figured Mm -hmm. that I would take it upon myself to get started and put myself out there. And then hopefully that would, I would magnetize, you know, some, Mm-hmm. you know, whatever that partner would be in this uh, endeavor. Hard to find the right people that you really click yeah. with. It's important. But yeah, it seems like that could be really good if you can somehow. But definitely no matter what, stick with the podcast. Or if it's not straight that, maybe it will morph into something else. Who knows? There's still a lot of time of it traveling through the third house. It's going to there's going to be change happening there for a little while. So maybe it'll morph into something, but, um, but stick with it. 
so your unaspected moon. I'm pretty sure that Uranus hit it in the spring because Uranus has gone retrograde, so backed off again, and it's going to be coming back. I'm thinking that that was about the time that you were having those series of dreams that I felt like was you reaching towards your this other part of your like like that feminine wisdom side that I believe this has to do with a connection or a disconnection from your mother's lineage. And sort of how I think of it is at one point, the women held all the wisdom so much, you know, and we would pass it on to our daughters. And we were literally, we were destroyed. And we couldn't even pass that on to them if we wanted to, even if they were still with us for fear of what would happen to them if we did, you know? And so somehow that lineage and that ancient wisdom got broken off. There's so much missing. There's like this vast reservoir that at one point was flowing into all of us. It's not. We have to actively seek it out mm -hmm. and we can get it, but it takes so much work. We can do it though. And for you having that unaspected moon, cause I like, I ponder that sometimes. I'm like, you're so good at reading dreams. Like you're so good at interpreting the symbols. And I know you said, oh, it's not, there's not really that much to it. You just think about how it is or whatever. And whatever your formula for doing it, I've never met anybody that can interpret quite like that. Like there, you really, you have a gift with it. And for you to have these dreams that to me were symbolic of not, of feeling disconnected from that reservoir of feminine wisdom, but you already have so much of it. What that tells me is that I believe that you can really connect to that wisdom that we were kind of, you know, all of us were cut off from through our mother lineage, you know, um, just like woman wisdom. I don't really know how else to put it. Honestly, that's like my, my secret passion would be to some, I think the searching that I'm constantly doing, you know, through the, you know, the Reiki or the Akashic records or whatever it is that I'm finding at that moment. I'm just, I keep seek, you know, seeking and seeking until I find whatever that thing is where I feel connected. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So then I want to mention one other thing I would, I would advise sticking with the Akashic records thing because you might have a tendency to be a little bit all over the place because you've got Ju Jupiter, um, Mercury hard aspect. So it's kind of like you want to get all of the information from everywhere, but that makes it so that it's harder to really go deep with one thing. I think if you, and then there's also the danger of like what I was talking about before of that spiritual bamboozlement or whatever. So for, for you, I think if you can stick with one thing, that's like a really pure vibration, I think you're gonna be able to really connect to something like that you might not necessarily be able to if you're like running all around here and there. I have definitely had so many uh, precious special moments with the Akashic Records. Um, but I guess at the same time, I, I don't feel that maybe, it, I guess what I have this romanticized vision of what being in flow and one with spirit is like, you just have this, uh, this sizzle, I don't know, or like an otherworldly calm that comes over you, something like that. I don't, and I haven't experienced that. Maybe that's not a thing. <laughs> I don't know. Like total transcendence. <laughs> I want, yes, I want a total transcendence. I mean, I think transcendence comes in moments and then we practice and that's what gets us to those moments. You have to keep putting in the work, you know, the practice of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be a transcendental moment every time, probably. But um, it is important to trust the information that comes through and to know that those moments of, you know, those miraculous kind of moments, they they're waiting <laughs> and they happen. Well, you had
had mentioned that the unaspected moon was pretty, um, it struck you as being rather strange or something. Well, unusual. Unusual. Rare. Rare. Very, very rare. Mm -hmm. When I was really pondering it, that, that was the thing that I came to was the disconnect from the mother line and that if there's somehow like the feeling I got was that there's something about your connection with your mom and her lineage that you are possibly both feel simultaneously disconnected from but seeking at the same time or maybe you're seeking it because you're disconnected from it or something. I don't quite know. One thing that Uranus hitting the moon, which is the thing that's going to be happening for you. So it's going to hit your unaspected moon. So it's going to trigger this stuff. You have an opportunity. Uranus is going to awaken something about that. When Uranus is hitting the moon, there's stuff about your relationship with your mother in particular that it's like it's coming it's coming up so do something with it you know what i mean it's gonna be it's gonna get triggered so do something with it let it like you choose with this one that's what i feel about this you choose because also with the with neptune moving through your fourth house it's that's the whole thing i was talking about of that revisioning of the childhood you know how you were talking about the whole nanny thing? Well, is there a way you can do that with your mom? And then is there a way you can do that with your mom to her mom? What happened? If you can have a reimagining of what happened with the female line. It's kind of like what I was talking about. At some point, we were literally burned <laughs> and drowned and our connection to our daughters was destroyed and our connection to our mothers was destroyed and everything that came along with that. What is that for you? What is that for your whole line? And maybe there's some way to heal something in the lineage. That's something my teacher Anne that I want to connect you with used to talk about. She's like, we're all here to heal our lineage and what we heal for ourselves, we heal for everyone that we came through. You know, when we heal for ourselves, we heal it for the collective. And because I do think that Uranus was hitting your moon at the time when you were having those dreams. And I mean, you were, I mean, it's like the one dream that I think of is like, like reaching into the woman's ass and like pulling the Bible out. It's like, you were really reaching for that, you know? And it's like going back through, you know, it's like so symbolic. <laughs> it's like, what is, what is the wisdom there? for you. There's something really there. And so I am pretty certain that Uranus was on it at that time. And if, and it's going to come back on it again. So I feel like there's going to be, you're going to have this opportunity. You have this opportunity right now to reconnect with some kind of wisdom from that. And I'll be curious to know what it is. I hope you share what you discussed. Uranus is unpredictable, so I don't think there's any way to say what you'll discover. Um, your moon is in Taurus, so it could be Earth's wisdom, but I don't know what it's going to be. I just think that maybe it has to do with, I think it will reconnect you to a bigger meaning of what it means to be a woman and what we've had to endure and what we are capable of and the information that we're capable of holding and the information that we're capable of pulling through from the other side. Because all of the wisdom that they had at one point, they received directly from the plants or they received directly from the stars or, you know, they were able to pull through this wisdom when um, it was okay to do it. And then at some point it was, no, women wisdom was no longer okay at some point. And so we've all suffered from that. All of our mothers have suffered from that. That's what the feeling that I got when you're talking is that maybe what this is, is a reclamation of what it means to be a woman, you know, and taking pride in that and seeing the beauty in it. Because it's like, it's the moon, right? It's your moon is unaspected. 
well, how beautiful is the moon? You know, like, I mean, like, I'm like in love with the moon, <laughs> you know? Like, maybe even if you spend time with the actual moon, you know, in awe of the moon's beauty, maybe you'll understand something deep within yourself of how beautiful and magical it is to be a woman. <laughs> like, you know, I, I just feel like there's something there where there's some sort of, I guess, reclamation is the thing that I keep feeling is like bringing it into yourself, reclaiming what it means to be a woman, like reclaiming all of the magic and the beauty and the unpredictability. You know what? I think you should get this book. I think you'll like it. It's called um, Goddesses in Every Woman. And she, she does it with um, Greek mythology. So she breaks it down into these different archetypes of women. I had to find role models and ways to embrace that. But I think women are so amazing. Like, I just think we're so magical. We can like grow a baby inside of us and make a person. Like we can like, we're just magical, mystical. I hope that you can find that. I hope that you can find that reconnection with the beauty and the magic of, of being a woman. There's no one quite like us. <laughs> we can do things men cannot do. We can do things they cannot do. And one thing that like really struck me, I remember I went on a road trip and I was up visit visiting a bunch of dudes. I was like 17 and I was at their bachelor pad and it was just, I couldn't even find a clean towel after the shower. I was like, oh, this is disgusting. Their house is disgusting. I was just like, ugh. And I went home and I was back in my room and I had like a crystal hanging in the window. It was like making rainbows all around. My room was so beautiful. I was like, this is why men love us. <laughs> We're magical. <laughs> we make things pretty, <laughs> you know. We're magical. They don't, they don't really have that. They don't have that connection. And that's what I noticed about you and your ability to interpret the dreams. You have this magical connection to something else that you, I feel like you have that because it's through your feminine side, you know? Due to my unaspected moon, April encouraged me to ask the Akashic Record about my mother's lineage. A few days later, I did just that. So here was the question. What do you want me to know about my mother's lineage? Answer. Surrendering to the imposed laws of someone else or being conscripted into someone else's justice system or their set of right and wrongs is detrimental to the sense of self and the connection to source, community, and lineage. Correcting wrongs in any tradition is a good thing, and in the now, not delayed. Suspicion and prejudice should never be tolerated within one's own governing body or a community's lawmaking sensibilities. But traditions founded on ancient knowledge that have been stamped out need to be resurrected once again yet into a new body. It will never look quite the same as it did in an ancestor's day because each time brings its own flavor, its own dance with the eternal, immutable, everlasting truths of justice, love, acceptance, and non-judgment. Find these qualities in yourself and start to look for them in those around you. Entertain, until you begin to feel the truth of it, the idea that person has the divine flame inside them. And you'll find your very belief will bring it out. There will indeed be more connection, more love, more acceptance, more feeling. And it won't be your imagination. These people will actually manifest within themselves the people you see them capable of being, the people you see them to be in faith. Mothers all have the power in them to hold another person up, 
to encourage, to teach, and impart wisdom to another by simply being in one's presence. But we, including men, must all first be mothers to ourselves. Start the chain reaction to heal your broken lineage, the heritage of broken mothers, to remind us all of the mothers we are inside, even if we don't physically bear children, for we all beget friendships and relationships that spawn consequences and new potentials for beginnings and setting things right once again. It's the time to heal and remember the mother inside, the fiercely protective, unconditionally loving mother that is in all of us, waiting to be awakened and remembered. So that was the Akashic reading I did on December 17th. I believe it was earlier that day that I heard episode 275, How to Heal a Wound from the Feminine with Lex on Christine Hassler's Over It and On With It podcast. The next day, on December 18th, I listened to Gabriel Ginter talk about the Divine Feminine and the December 21st conjunction on her podcast, My Leap of Faith, in her episode, Transparency. And those are just two of the threads, the synchronicities. Life is amazing. I'll close by saying that sometimes... We just need that at a boy or at a girl. And sure, we can do the self-parenting and give that affirmation to ourselves, but when someone else takes the time to echo that confirmation that we're on the right track, it has that extra punch of energy, of life juice. This is what this conversation with April did for me. And for that, I am so very thankful. She later texted me, saying this the third house and the ninth house being opposites are related the ninth has to do with longer publications the third with shorter this could be a perfect time to really start thinking about what types of pieces you could submit to magazines etc especially because your north and south nodes are in the third and ninth with all those heavy hitters in your third I feel pretty certain that doing this now will lead to finding a publisher later for a book. Did she stop there? No. She emailed me a link to a website listing several different magazines that pay for article submissions. She also posted on her social media a testimonial about a dream interpretation I did for her. And she solicited direct messages from friends who might have a dream they want interpreted so that she could connect them to me. And I don't say all this for her benefit, really, because the last thing she wants is any limelight, although it's deserved. I mention it because I saw this, what she had done, as an invitation in my own life to see where I could promote and support others in their strengths and dreams. In this dawning age of Aquarius, it's all about empowering the individual. But the individual is always still part of the collective. By helping one, we strengthen us all. Thank you so much for joining me in Sheffy's Sandbox. And, an un and until next time, much love.